to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, January 14th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, a message titled, Jesus Sanctifying the Servants of God. Him sanctifying the servants of God. Now you and I, those of us who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are the servants of God. Now, we were not born sanctified. We had to be made holy. And Jesus is the only one who can make someone holy. And so he is right now busy from heaven working on each one of us. Some of us need more work than others. But we're all in need of being sanctified. Now, when I say sanctified, I don't have the idea of someone who's sanctified is walking around holier than thou, got it all together, perfect, they got a halo suspended about two inches above their head, and they got it all together. That's not what it means to be sanctified. Rather, it means that we're broken and contrite about sin. We know we don't have it all together. And we're broken over that. And we're so desperate about our sinful condition and we're so frustrated by it and we're, we're so um, at, uh, at the point of admitting that we need help that we turn to the one who is the expert in the field. The sinless Son of God, the Holy One of God. And we go to Him First in faith, to trust Him as our Lord and Savior, to cleanse our sinful heart. And then we follow Him as our Lord, and all life long we are pursuing Him, and we're submitted to Him, and we're letting Him have His way in our life, so that He step by step is is changing us to become more like Him, the one who is holy. And along the way we'll stumble, and we'll fail, and we'll make mistakes. And we get up in those moments knowing we have a Savior who's forgiven us and, and who's gracious and loving, and we continue to pursue Him, knowing that He's working on us and He will not stop working until the job is complete. That's what it means to be sanctified. And Jesus is doing that work in our lives from heaven right now. Now, the book of Hebrews is kind of like a window into heaven. That's the way I'm portraying it, because all through the book of Hebrews, as you study it, you find these words of, of, of vision. We see Jesus, and, and we're, seen, we're shown Jesus at different chapters. And all through the book, we see Jesus in what he's doing in heaven right now. We've already noticed from chapter 1, we see Jesus sitting on the throne. He's high and lifted up. There's no one higher. There's no one more superior. There's no one stronger than him. If you need something done in your life, he's your man. And he is the one. That's why that vision in the chapter 1 is so important. Everything else that flows from the book 
All the things that we're going to see, the wonderful things we're going to see, they flow out of the possibility that Jesus is on the throne and that he can do all things. And so we see him high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. We also see him in chapter 1 and chapter 2 as serving the needs of saints. He is the king of angels, and he is the great high priest. There's no one busier in the temple than the priest. And there's no one busier than Jesus in heaven. He is busy right now serving the needs of saints. And as a great high priest, he is able to take care of all of our needs. This concept of priest is all through the book of Hebrews. The title priest is found in the book 28 times. And so all these are intended to paint a picture for us of what Christ is doing for us right now. He is a priest before God representing us and he's meeting our needs and serving our needs. And as a Christian, as a believer, as a human being, one of our primary needs is we need to be made holy. We need to be changed. We need to be made more like him. And so we see him doing this job. In the chapter that... Chapter 2 in the text that we're going to read this morning, verses 10 through verses 18, we see him pictured as what the Bible calls here the captain of our salvation. Read with me in verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you and again I will put my trust in him and again here am I and the children whom God has given me Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he, gives, he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He is the captain of salvation. So in that sense, salvation is like a ship. It's a ship that we are placed on once we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, this ship was bought and paid for by Jesus, the captain himself, and he's paid the fare as well. And when we trust Christ, he places us on board, and we then are on a destination trip. And just like any good captain, he is going to be taking all those who are on board to an appointed destination that everybody's looking forward to, and everybody needs to get there. And so this is Jesus as the captain of our salvation. He is leading us. He's in charge of our life. 
And he is leading us on the ship of salvation to the appointed destination. Now ultimately that destination is going to be a golden shore that gives way to a golden city where all the servants of God are going to live forever. That's where we're going to ultimately head and end up. You don't want to miss this ship. If, if you're not on the ship, you can be. There's still room on board. And did I mention it's paid for? It's a free ride. It costs Jesus everything, but it's free to us. And the Lord wants you on that ship because he wants you at the destination. And along the way, he wants to change your life. Now, this ship is not a luxury ship that's going to take us on a route that's going to cause us to escape from life. Sometimes we need that. But this ship actually is our life. This ship leads us to our life. And, and this ship is intended to, to lead us through all of the struggles and the temptations of this life and with Jesus as our captain to lead us through that on a sea of sanctification. Through all the ups and downs, through all the difficulties and challenges of life, Jesus is going to be working through that in our life to make us like him. That's what he's busy doing from heaven. And I see from the text that Jesus uses three sanctifying steps to make his servants holy. Let's notice what they are. Number one, Jesus uses traveling the road of suffering. Look again at verse 10. The Bible says that the captain of their salvation is made perfect through sufferings. Now what that means is Jesus did not have an easy life. Jesus didn't get a free pass. He didn't get uh, bumped to the front of the line and get to skip some of the things in between. No, there was difficulty in, in Christ's life experience here on this earth from day one. In his birth, there was suffering. In his childhood, they were suffering. In his teenage years, even though we don't read about them, we know there was challenges there and they were suffering. And certainly in adulthood, as a man who was despised and rejected from, by everyone else, and who ultimately had to hang on a shameful cross to bear the sins that he had not committed, but others had committed, and died in agony and shame, Jesus knew the way of suffering. And that was intentional. God intended for him to walk the way of suffering. And it was to present the challenges to him that would give him opportunities to obey in righteousness and provide the perfect model of righteousness for us. But also it, 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 it is that he went before us as a trailblazer to show us how to live the way of suffering and that this way of suffering is used by the Lord to sanctify his servants. If the Lord allowed this suffering to be in the life of his son, then he's going to allow it in your life if you're following the son. And just like it sanctified Jesus, it's going to sanctify you and me. This is one reason why the Lord allows suffering to occur in the world. He could change it, but he allows it. 
And this is one of the reasons, is because he's got a purpose in it. Later in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 89, the writer's going to say this. He's going to say, though the, he was the son, speaking of Jesus, meaning he is the son of God, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, in other words, completed his course of obedience, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus did not become Captain Jesus without suffering. And you and I will not become the holy servants of God either without suffering in our life as well. Well, I don't think I believe in a God who allow all this suffering in the world like, like we see it right now. Many people say that. Airplane goes down. Thieves break in. Young life is taken. Innocents are, are hurt. Twin towers go down. All these things. People look at this and they say, how could a loving God allow all these things to take place in this world? I can't believe in a God like that, many people say. But they don't understand what has brought us to this point and don't understand how God's using suffering today. God didn't bring the suffering into the world. It was sin and sinners who brought the suffering into the world. And at that point, God had a choice to either zap sin where he found it and get rid of everybody or to allow it to continue and then to work through it to bring us to himself and to make us holy. God chose us. God chose to work through it and that involved suffering that would come to his own son. And so the Bible has a theology of suffering that we've got to understand. And while God does not enjoy suffering, God does not enjoy the fact that many people suffer and his loving heart suffers and feels that with them, he knows it is best in the overall picture of things, it is best to allow the suffering because it does have a good purpose in the end. You see, the bottom line is God allows it because we need it. Without it, we remain soft, shallow, and selfish. And so God allows it because it helps to make us stronger and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's notice what the theology of suffering is in the Bible. First, the suffering that God allows, the Bible shows us that God actually experienced that suffering first. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Now that means that God and the Lord Jesus Christ before anything was ever created, look forward, and they can do that. They can see the beginning from the end. They look forward and they saw that sin would come into the world if the world was created. He was going to give, they would give God a man free will, and, they, and built into that is just the possibility that they would make the wrong choice, 
and sin would come in. They knew that it would. They knew the suffering that would follow. And they knew that if mankind were to survive that and be saved out of that, it would require the Son going as a substitute and to bear the sins of the world. And it would suffer. And the Father looked at that and he said yes to it. He agreed. And the Son looked at that and he said yes to it. And he agreed. And in their hearts and in their minds, it was as good as done. It was like it had already happened. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they felt that. The Father feels the suffering of the world. And so he first suffered before anyone else did. And he did that because he knew that it had to be done. He chose us. He decided not to throw the idea of us in the trash, but he decided to work through this and work through sin and provide a substitute that provides salvation, and then through him all could be sanctified. So first, God suffers. And then second, the Bible shows us that God embraced suffering, and God does embrace suffering the most. You see, we only know suffering in one generation, our generation. And yet we can hear about the sufferings that other people have gone through, but we really can't, we can't feel their sufferings. We can only feel ours. But God's different. God in the eternal dimension is able to feel the suffering of all generations. Indeed he does. First Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And that's spoken to all generations. And so all are told to cast their care upon him. Why? Because he in his heart feels what you feel and he's able to bear that burden and he has the same care and concern about it that you do. He feels it. And so for all the generations and all the sin that's been committed and all the suffering that's come into the world from that, the Father and the Son has borne that suffering in their hearts. And they feel it most. There's a dimension of the atonement on the cross that we really can't understand. But the Bible says that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. Where's that found? Right above where we're reading, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus tasted death for every one. So that means that the sin and the deaths that everyone has incurred because of sin. All of those for all generations from all sinners were all laid upon Jesus at one time. And he had to pay the eternal debt that everyone owed. And he paid for all of that. The Bible says he suffered in agony and pain. No one suffered like Jesus. So while the Bible does present to us a loving, kind God. He's had to deal with the sin of mankind, and he's had to deal with it in a way that is most just and most loving, and it's not an easy way. Instead of just zapping sin where he finds it, he's chosen to work through it. And he's changing 
this world one heart at a time instead of just throwing us away. And that's what he'd have to do. You say, well, yeah, he, he could go here and there and change things. Yeah, anywhere he finds sin and suffering, he could do that. But guess what? He's just, and he's not a respecter of persons. And so if he starts zapping, he wouldn't be able to stop till he came to all of us where sin is found. So instead, he's chosen the plan of redemption to provide a ship of salvation that sails the sea of sanctification, that leads us through all the struggles and sufferings of life, but through that, as we lean upon him, we are, we are strengthened and we're changed to be more like him because he's already gotten through it. He's won the victory, and he's wanting to share that with you and me. So the Lord has suffered first. The Lord has suffered most. But then, thank the Lord, we read that the Lord will end suffering ultimately, or he will end it last. The verses of our text share that with us. It says in verse 14, As much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. The Lord has, he has become partaker of flesh and blood with us. The Lord Jesus Christ was made like us, yet without sin. And this is what the verses that the writer of Hebrews quotes right before this, that he does call them his brethren. That's a quote from Psalm 22. And when Christ went through his life, he did have to trust the Father. He did struggle. And that's why the quote in verse 13 from 2 Samuel 22 is listed there. And then the quote from Isaiah 8 here where he says, I and the children whom God has given me. He came into this world to be a model, to be a leader, to be a captain for us. And so he, he came to be one with us in our sin. And he came so that he might destroy that sin. He did that on the cross. He through death, verse 14 says, destroyed him who had the power of death that is the devil. And so on the cross, he destroyed the penalty of sin. He destroyed the power of sin. And ultimately, at his second coming, he will destroy the presence of sin. He will rid our bodies and our life of that sin and all the world of that sin, and redemption will be complete. But that's what he's about. But in the meantime, he has to allow suffering. But he uses it for a good purpose. He uses it to make us stronger and wiser and holier, just like Jesus is. So number one, we travel the road of suffering. But then number two, notice the Bible talks here about testing or tempting also. And so secondly, the Lord uses enduring times of testing. Notice again what verses um, 17 and 18 says. It says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And so Jesus was tempted. And the truth about temptation 
is that number one, Jesus struggled with temptation. This is what this verse 18 teaches us. It says he suffered, but a part of that suffering was he was being tempted. Now, God does not tempt anyone with sin, but he allowed his son to be in a place where he could be tempted. Why? Because he was identifying with you and me. And the Bible says later in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.15, in all points he was tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus struggled. He became flesh and blood. He knows what it's like for us to face sin in this world. And this verse says it was a struggle for him. It wasn't a struggle in the sense that he was like, oh, what should I do? What should I do? Or maybe that looks pretty good over there. I'm not sure. You know, he wasn't pulled in that direction. But he had a very real, he had a very human temptation. It was a struggle to him. And in that sense, we see he can identify with us and he can lead us through our own times of temptation. And God uses those. God uses a time when we have to make the choice between right and wrong and sometimes we don't get it right. Many times we don't get it right. And when we don't get it right, there are consequences and we suffer. And we look back on that and we say, you know, I should have done that a little different. I'm going to do it different next time. And so with us, temptation comes and we see Christ model for us and it encourages us to walk the way of holiness. But the second truth of temptation that needs to be very clear in our minds is that Jesus never sinned. He did struggle with the experience of being tempted. His 40-day temptation in the wilderness was not pleasant. There he was tempted in ways we probably can never understand but all the temptations that would be faced by all the world was laid before him there. But never did he ever once make the wrong decision. He looked at all of that, and every single time he said yes to the right, he said yes to God. And it's amazing to think about how he did that. Because he was put in a vulnerable position. Now this is how he's our captain. This word captain in the original, it means a pioneer leader. Someone who kind of blazes the trail first and blazes ahead of other people and becomes kind of like a hero leader that people can follow. That's the idea behind him being the captain of our salvation. And when he went through all these temptations and he said no to every one of them in all the different situations, he became our hero leader. He was the one who was doing what we should have done and what Adam and Eve should have done. And it's amazing to think of how, how much power that took for him to do that. Back in Bible college, the question came up in our circles, could Jesus have sinned or not? The Bible is clear saying he's te he was tempted, but could he, did he have the possibility of sinning in any of those temptations. In those earlier days, in my youth, in my zeal, I had a very quick and definite answer. No, he couldn't have sinned. He was God. He was God come in the flesh. And there's no way he could have sinned. And in one sense, there are some things that God cannot do. And that's true. But when Jesus laid aside 
his deity. He didn't cease to become God. He didn't cease to be God, but he laid aside some of the privileges and the prerogatives of deity. He took on weakness. God's not weak, but he took on weakness. God doesn't get hungry and God doesn't get thirsty, but Jesus took on that weakness. He became hungry and became thirsty. And these verses here, verse 17 particularly, I think, points us in the direction of the answer, could Jesus have sinned? When it says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. In those early days, I, I questioned some of our professors about this question, and uh, Dr. Joel Slayton, very respected Bible scholar on the campus of Central Baptist College when I was there, had a very definite answer too, and I couldn't believe it. He said, yeah, I believe Jesus could have sinned. I'm, How in the world could he think that? He didn't explain it to us. He just said, he gave us the answer. He was trying to make us study it for ourselves. He had done that. I had not. But I think this verse right here, verse 17, says that he took on human nature and all of its aspects except sin. And that means that he had free will. He was made like Adam was. And Adam was innocent, he was sinless, but he had the ability to make a choice to go one way or another. And I believe our Lord Jesus Christ had that same option. But being the hero captain that he is, and every single time he had to make a choice, he always made the right choice that would honor God the Father and would do the best thing for you and me. He's our hero. He never, ever sinned. And that makes him someone worth following. He's our hero. He never sinned, but we do. Number three on the list, we all struggle with temptations. And this is implied here in verse 17 with this phrase. He had to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Notice it sins with an S. We sin, and we sin a whole lot. We cannot stop sinning. But Jesus, through his power, will one day help us to get to that place. If we'll follow him now, we'll sin less. And if we do sin, which we will, the Bible says that his his sacrifice is able to pay for all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. That leads us to another truth about temptation, and that is that Christ made full payment. This is what the word propitiation means here. Propitiation, payment, for the sins of the people. This is what he proclaimed on the cross when he said, it is finished. It was one word in the original, to telestai. It means full payment. All the sins that you have committed, all the sins you will ever commit, all of them have been paid for in full by the captain of salvation. And if you'll trust him, he'll cover all your sins. That's why we can... Well, we can have confidence as even though we stumble and we fall and we sin, we can come to him for forgiveness and we can pick ourselves up and keep going and keep following him. There's no one who can, once they've trusted Christ, can send themselves out of his presence. But through his 
through his salvation, through his cleansing blood, there's always an open way back to him. But then finally, we just need to say about all this tempting and testing that God the Father never tempts anyone to sin. He's not allowing temptation and weakness to be in our life because he's trying to to lead us in that direction. All of us have weakness. All of us have certain sins that trip us up more than others. And sometimes we, like Paul, pray, Lord, will you take this thorn of my flesh away? But the Lord has a different plan. He says, no, I'm going to leave it because my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to lean upon my grace. I want you to learn through this experience how to be changed and how to come to me to be changed. So the Lord will allow temptation in our life, but he's never the one over there cheering us on to, to go the wrong way. That, the Bible says that whenever, when anyone sins, James chapter 1, verse 14, when anyone sins, they are led away by their own desires and enticed. So it is ourself and Satan who tempts us to sin, but God does allow the experience because he uses it in the process of sanctification. God sent that, put that tree right in the middle of the Garden of Eden called the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, here it is. It's bad. You don't need to choose it. In other words, he, he was saying to them, this oven's hot and you don't need to go near it. That's what he was saying. But instead of us stumbling on it or stumbling into sin, he wanted to call it out. And that's what any caring parent does. Because they... The parent wants the child to steer clear of it. And that's what God was doing. He never tempts us to sin. But he will make the way clear for us to go around it or if we've fallen into it, be able to get past it. This is his process of sanctification. But then there are some tools that are available to us. The scripture talks about, this is the third point, then you'll have the message Here's what Christ is doing from heaven. He is sending down some aid to us. This is what verse 16 and verse 18 talks about. Verse 16, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And verse 18 says he is able to aid those who are tempted. You remember from last week this word aid means to come to an urgent cry to run to an urgent cry, like a first responder does. And those of you in our church who are first responders, you know you don't go empty-handed to the scene, right? You always come with handfuls of stuff, equipment, tools that are needed. And Jesus is the same way. He is our first responder from heaven as our captain. He's always coming to our aid as we're tempted or as we're being uh, tried through suffering. And the Bible shows us that he has some aids with us that are so very important, some tools for us to use that are so very important in our time of suffering, in our time of temptation, that will make all the difference. What are they? Let me give them both to you on point number three. It is number one, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Scriptures in your heart, and then number two, the Holy Spirit in your body. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If you want to lead a holier life, then you need to get more of God's word in your heart and your mind. I found that I cannot sin or I cannot give in to temptation if I at the same time am meditating on scripture or am quoting scripture out loud. You try it and see. Don't try to sin, but if when it comes, when it happens, see if, med if quoting that scripture you meditated on earlier in the day, if calling that up, does it change your heart and mind? The holy scriptures sanctify us, Jesus says. And the more we have them in our heart and our mind and operating in our life, the more that we'll choose the right way and we'll follow his way. So spend time with the Lord each day in your daily quiet time. Get God's word in your heart. Remember it. Take it with you. Call it up on a regular basis. And it will be the tool that comes to your aid in that time in which your faith is wavering or you're tempted to sin. A second tool is the Holy Spirit in your body. Our bodies still have the presence of sin. It's in the inward part. It's in what the Bible calls our flesh. And the Bible says that our flesh is always at enmity with the Spirit. And so there's always a battle going on with us. And there's a part of us in our body that wants to sin. Our hearts are clean through Christ and our spirit has been purified. But there's a part of us that is still with us. And if we feed that part or if we ignore God's word and let that part just kind of take over, we'll have trouble and a greater struggle with sin. But the Holy Spirit is here to, to dwell us and fill us and to help us to walk in the right way. And he is the one who can make all the difference. The Bible describes his ministry this way. It says, Neither yield your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, and your bodies as instruments of righteousness unto God. And particularly this is talking about the God, the Holy Spirit. Because Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As we yield control to the Holy Spirit, He begins to give us a new mind, a new heart. He'll even give you new feelings. Are your feelings not working so good for you? He's got new feelings. Feelings that come from the heart of Christ. He'll help you to love others. And to love the world like he does. As you yield to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring the Lord Jesus Christ out through us. And what the world needs to see are bodies of servants of God. Who are walking the way of holiness. Who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how they can get through their struggles. That's how they can get through their temptations. That's how they can come through the fountain of life and receive life-changing power. And that's why the Lord has left us here in this world of suffering, this world of temptation. He wants us to be Jesus to the world. And that can happen as we are on His ship.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.